All right, so the first one, who's more important? The first sub or the 250,000th sub? What's the best way to learn from Kaggle competitions? I wanna know how you deal with unprofessional behavior of coworkers. So who's gonna determine the future in the data field? So what personal slash professional habits do I credit most of my success to and how did I learn it? Ooh, that's a good one. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ken's Nearest Neighbors, the podcast where I bring in fascinating people from my world, talk about life, data science, sports analytics, content creation, and much, much more. I'm your host, Ken G. If you haven't already, we'd greatly appreciate it if you gave us a rating and followed the show. It helps us to continue to bring in incredible guests. All right, we're going to do a little Q&A today for this episode of the Ken's Nearest Neighbors podcast. I'm doing this because I want to celebrate uh, 250,000 of you all tuning in to my main YouTube channel. I'm going to do a live stream probably in about a month. I'm traveling a bunch, so it's not going to be very feasible in the short term. But I like doing Q&As on the podcast because then I don't miss any questions. I can really go through and answer everyone, hopefully in earnest, uh, in this format. So we'll sort of jump into the questions. I ask for questions on YouTube, on x.com and on LinkedIn and Instagram. So we have a couple, not a ton, it was pretty short notice. So this will be nice and hopefully short and sweet. Although I realize I'm kind of long-winded sometimes, so it might be uh, a little longer uh, than I originally planned for. But regardless, let's have some fun and hopefully this creates some value for some people. So we'll jump in here. So what's the best way to learn from Kaggle competitions? This person's very interested in participating in some higher level competitions, but they can't dive straight in because the advanced competitions are beyond their uh, skill set. Uh, they've done some of the beginner ones, but uh, they're not as familiar with some of the concepts and they want a better idea of how to approach higher level competitions. This is a really good question. I think it's all about trying to stretch yourself and figure out how to eventually develop the skills to feel like you can participate uh, and hold your own in those larger competitions. To me, the easiest thing to do is to look at the advanced competitions that have been completed and start looking through the code of the winners, looking through the code of people who share it. That is, in my opinion, one of the best ways to start picking up those skills and understanding what's going on. It might take 10, 15, 20 of these competitions where you're looking at and exploring how more advanced people are doing it, but you will eventually start building the understanding and you'll start to um, sort of create a mental map of how to approach these problems. I will also say that during the competition, a lot of people do post their starter code to help you get going. And I highly recommend using some of that and building off of that. That is a great way to build intuition, a great way to get something started where you where you don't feel like you're completely new to this thing, you're working off of something that someone else has has built. Uh, full transparency, Kaggle competitions, advanced Kaggle competitions are not exactly my jam. I have competed in a couple, but it's mainly with teams. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to be uh, an expert, a, a, a master, a grandmaster in Kaggle competitions to be a successful data scientist. Uh, the second question is that I've been struggling dealing with people rather than data science itself. 
I want to know how you deal with one, unprofessional behavior of coworkers, unrealistic expectations, and three, those who work well, get more work, how to get out of this rabbit hole. So those are really, really good questions. And I think that this is something that when people get into the field, it hits them pretty hard in the face is that, oh my goodness, I just finished all the technical stuff. And the biggest bottleneck is the people. It's not actually the the work that I do. At least for me, when I was working in industry more traditionally, it was the corporate politics that were the most frustrating for me to deal with. So I can completely resonate with this. Uh, I would first start with a couple books. So the book Crucial Conversations, uh, Tina Huang recommended that to me, and I love it for whether it's with your partner or whether you're just dealing with normal people at work. This book helps you essentially get to the bottom of all these problems and have those more difficult conversations. Uh, Another one is Never Split the Difference. It's about negotiation. And I love this book. It's one of my favorite books, especially for this podcast, because uh, Spark Notes is one of the best ways to negotiate with someone is to at least, well, is to try to get sort of into their mind and to convince them that you're on their side or you understand what they're talking about. And if you empathize and ask the right questions, you you help um, sort of uh, you know, project what they're describing back on them, they're more likely to either change their opinion a little bit or come to a, a more mutual, uh, mutually agreed upon uh, position. So, but when it comes to unprofessional behavior with a coworker, um, it depends what type of unprofessional behavior you're talking about. Uh, if it's something, you know, they're, you don't like nicknames they're giving you, whatever it might be, you can just, uh, I personally am very direct with these types of things, I, I, you know, not confront them, but talk to them about, okay, you know, I I don't like this. Um, Maybe you think that this is a term of endearment, but to me, this is offensive. A lot of the time disagreements or, um, or conflict arises because people are projecting what they believe other people will like onto them when it's not the case, you know, everyone is different. We have different experiences and perceptions and something that I like, I might assume other people would like that, but it might not be the case. And because of that assumption, I might, you know, buy my friend a a blackberry pie and they might be allergic to blackberries, but I love blackberry pie and that that could be an issue. So to me, uh, understanding and getting to the sort of bottom line of what these people uh, are feeling and why they're making certain assumptions about something is really important. And then going from there is, is a pretty powerful thing. Um, unrealistic expectations. I feel like once you're in, that's a little bit harder, but once you're starting, I usually am very clear about, um, I ask about what the expectations are for me and I clarify how my expectations might be different from the get go. Um, I, I also like to use data around these things. So, you know, you know, this, this project took this amount of time last time, I would assume it would take around this amount of time this time, uh, giving other case studies or whatever that might be could, could be very powerful. And then those who work well, get more work. Um, that that's, that's a really tough one because you're, you're doing a really good job and because you're doing a good job, you become more reliable and, and be asked and get asked to do more. Um, you know, I think that could also go towards setting boundaries. If you really are doing good work and you're a valuable asset to the team, you have leverage. You know, you have the ability to say no 
because you're more valuable than these other people because your work is so high quality. So they're less likely to let you go. Um, and you can use that to your advantage. It might be difficult to have those conversations to start with, but I think that those are things you can have. And if there is clarity, if there are boundaries, people generally um, appreciate that more because they know exactly the bounds that of the work that you are willing to do. So I would maybe explore those things. The books that I described, again, Crucial Conversations and Never Split the Difference, they do a lot better job of describing what I articulated there. So I completely defer to them. Uh, another one is what would be your method at identifying an opportunity in data for a business? I really like this question. This is something I think about a lot. Uh, I don't think that this process is really any different than how you'd approach a data science product or a project that you're working on. My first step is to ask a lot of questions. And I'm recent, I'm reading another book right now. It's all about questioning. And they created a really cool framework that I like. And I would recommend maybe trying this out. So the first is asking why. So you might ask, you know, why do we do things a certain way? Why do we collect this data? Why do you want to see it every week? And you can sort of understand uh, the, the causes of certain things. And then you start going into what if, so what if we did this? What if we did this? What if we tried this? And you can start charting a path towards a uh, better or, or a, uh, a value driven outcome. And then the final question you ask is how, and that's when we start building is like, okay, how would we build this? How would we create this? How do we uh, approach this going forward? I'll, I'll link that book. I can't remember what it's called. It's in the other room. Uh, but I'll, I'll try to get that out there as well. So for me, that framework, uh, I'd sort of been intuitively doing that when I approach these problems, but that was a lot more concrete uh, for eliciting information from data, from people, from whatever it might be. Uh, and I, I can't say enough good things about that. Um, so who's going to determine the future in the data field? That's a question I have no clue. I think maybe NVIDIA, OpenAI, Google, uh, some of these companies they're probably going to have a large impact on what the field looks like. I am personally quite unsure about what the future of the field looks like. I think I've been pretty open about that is that, you know, I don't, I don't think data science, data analytics, as we know, it is going to be the same in five years. And I'm completely uh, clueless about what it might look like, whether it's that we're more involved, whether it's that we're less involved, whether the role has changed more towards product ownership or whatever that might be. That's all speculation for me at this point. So I'm a little excited to see where this goes, but I'm also a little nervous because, you know, I've been making content and telling stories and learning about this field for the last five years. And big change is, I think, inevitable, um, but uncertain big change is uh, something that I personally cannot do much about. <laughs> um, the next question is, I'm not able to complete my Kaggle competition. I don't know how to start. Also, when I upload my files, so this is more of a, a specific hands-on question. Uh, I personally, I would just look at a bunch of the tutorial videos online. Um, the Kaggle micro courses also show you how to do the basics of starting a Kaggle competition. So that is a really a good place to start. You know, I also have the Titanic video that I've made and the housing prices video that I've made, uh, and a couple other ones that I think would hopefully be helpful uh, if you're if you're looking to learn a little bit more about Kaggle. 
Uh, and then the last question, a lot of questions about Kaggle this week. I'm, I'm kind of like that. What's the best way to learn from Kaggle competitions? So I'm very interested in participating. Oh, we've already answered that question. Um, so this person just wrote it twice, but, uh, again, uh, Kaggle is an amazing resource. I can't say enough good things about it. Um, if you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend it. Best place for data and the best place for uh, a lot of uh, repositories of, of great knowledge from excellent people in the domain. I'm not sponsored by Kaggle by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but I, I still think it's a, an excellent place to, to explore and learn from. This episode of Kansas Neighbors is brought to you by Z by HP. HP's high compute, workstation grade, a lot of products and solutions. Z is specifically made for high performance data science solutions, and I personally use the ZBook Studio and the Z8 workstation. I really love that the Z workstations can come standard with Linux or WSL2, and they can be configured with the Data Science Software Stack Manager. With the Software Stack Manager, you can get right to the work of doing data science on day one without the overhead of having to completely reconfigure your new machine. Now back to our show. Uh, let's go to LinkedIn now and see what people are saying over there. All right, so for my good friend Al, he has three questions. So we'll, we'll go through these uh, pretty smoothly. So what personal slash professional habits do I credit most of my success to and how did I learn it? Ooh, that's a good one. I didn't prepare for this one, so I'll have to kind of go off the cuff here. Um, I think the thing that has contributed to any success I might have, if people would consider it a success, is uh, sort of curiousness and asking a lot of questions of, of everything. So let's take a YouTube video. You know, why would someone want to watch a YouTube video? What would make a YouTube video different from the other videos that are out there? You know, why personally would I want to make a YouTube video? Um, questions for me target the outside and help me understand the world, but they also help me understand the mechanisms that are going on internally. And I, I think that the external and internal questioning helped me create a, a framework to, to understand the world or, or to drive me forward. Uh, and for me, understanding why is, is, you know, just like we talked about before is very compelling. Like, why am I doing something? If I can't create a good why for it, it's very difficult for me to continue pursuing a path uh, with, with any energy or motivation. And next, so what is my latest life hack? Um, innovation that I recommend. Ooh, a life hack innovation. Uh, I've been going on a lot of walks lately. I just read another, man, I got a lot of books today. Another book called The Comfort Crisis. And it talks a lot about how being in nature is, is quite good for your mind. I used to walk, you know, with my phone in my pocket and some of those types of things. And apparently some research has been done. Don't quote me on this. It was in the book. Uh, that if you go for a walk for 20 minutes with your phone, it essentially eliminates the majority of the positive benefits of going on that walk in, in general, aside from the exercise and some of those types of things. So I've been leaving my phone at home when I go for a walk. I've been sort of okay with getting a little bit lost and finding my way back. And that has really freed up my mind to do a lot of problem solving and do a lot of uh, introspection. And then finally, what's the latest book that I read that blew my mind. Actually, it was that the the comfort crisis. Uh, it, it talks a lot about how modern living, a lot of the the things that um, the conveniences that we have, have sort of 
also serve to not help us to maximize our enjoyment or happiness or or success uh, or sense of meaning in the world. And so pursuing some different types of hardship or uh, stress in your life can push you forward and and help you help make you uh, more resilient and and also maybe give you a little different perspective on life. So I, I've had a, a great time reading that book is a, a very quick read. Um, next. So I'd love to see how you apply your work to games like daily fantasy football. How do you incorporate AI to your work? So the funny thing is, is that for example, I'm in a fantasy football league with some of my friends. I use like no analytics there. Uh, I, I should use analytics, but it's also kind of fun to just go with your gut and, and, um, and try to explore and see if you can figure out something that maybe your models wouldn't show. Um, that's not a good winning formula. I'm terrible at fantasy football and that's probably why a long time ago when I was working, but before I started working like more professionally in golf analytics, I was doing a lot of daily fantasy there and I was building a lot of models and, and having a lot of fun with it. Um, to me, there's a lot of opportunities to practice your data science with daily fantasy sports or some of these systems. I remember using, for example, knapsack algorithm to create optimal lineups, uh, using a bunch of different types of regression to pr project points and simulation to, to evaluate points. Um, that was, that was a, a ton of fun, but I also think that particularly in daily fantasy, there's a huge element of randomness variation and, um, and scale. And if you don't have a huge bankroll, uh, it's very difficult to continue uh, succeeding in that domain unless you have uh, a lot of luck uh, to begin with. I'm not saying it's impossible, but very, very, uh, very uh, competitive for me to to try to tr try to get in that space. Uh, those are all the questions from LinkedIn. Let's check out Instagram and see what was going there. I know I had some fun ones. All right. So the first one, who's more important, the first sub or the 250,000th sub? Uh, I, I wouldn't say either one is more important. I, I would say, I think my first sub was my dad or something or my mom or one of my good friends. So like, they're probably slightly more important to me, uh, just, just overall because of who the person was. But, you know, I, I appreciate everyone who listens to my content, use my information, gives me feedback. Even, even if they say mean things, it helps me develop and grow as a person, as a data scientist, as a, as a content creator. Um, another question is how would one choose a career in data science versus engineering is a master's required. So let's invert the question is a master master's required. I definitely think no. I think there's plenty of free resources that are out there. This is one of the most common questions I get asked. I think I made a, a couple of videos about it. Um, how would someone approach choosing either data science or some sort of engineering? I personally would recommend getting your hands dirty in both. So doing projects, trying to figure out, um, you know, do you like data science? Go on Kaggle, do some competitions. Is it fun? Do you enjoy this process? Is it challenging for you? Do you not like the ambiguity, uh, the ambiguity of it? Uh, try doing some engineering projects, build uh, a, a couple different things. Is, is that concreteness or a little bit more concreteness uh, good for you? Do, you? do you like that aspect? I know I personally really love the open-endedness of data science. I love that I can go in and build what 
you know, and build things in whatever image I would like it, and that there isn't necessarily a right answer, that that to me is is pretty appealing. But um, I, I think experimentation for me is the number one thing that I would evaluate there. Um, someone asks, how am I so handsome? I know that they're just trolling. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, when I was growing up, I was actually um, pretty self-conscious about uh, my appearance and those types of things. Um, I don't think I'm overwhelmingly good looking now, but, uh, you know, that, that's something that as I've gotten older, matured and, and really thought about is that, you know, this is going to sound really corny, but you know, you kind of dealt the cards that, that you have, uh, and you know, you can always just take care of yourself a little bit better. And, uh, at the end of the day, people care very little about your appearance unless you're on Instagram, um, and you're, you're trying to make a, a living based on it. So, um, thank you for that question. Uh, it, it did end up, uh, bringing back some old memories and it's, it's nice to see how far I've grown <laughs> from, from having those types of insecurities, uh, especially when, you know, I'm on camera a lot of the time I see my face everywhere, kind of got used to how I look uh, a fun one from Alex, the analyst. The biggest thing I've learned that's changed the way I interact with people. I, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that the things that I like, the way that I view the world is different from how everyone else views the world. And if I spend time trying to understand how other people view the world by mainly asking questions, I have a lot better understanding and relationship with them because I'm not, again, projecting what I think onto them. I'm learning about how they understand things. And that helps me to one, open my mind. Maybe I was doing something wrong, but two, it helps me to, um, genuinely connect with them, uh, on a, like a, a frame that they, that they resonate with. So that's been a huge one for me. Um, also just, you know, I, uh, I just like talking with people and asking questions that are maybe not uh, traditional, like, I hate talking about the weather. I hate talking about those types of things. I want to ask real questions. Like, are you happy? What is, what is, you know, what is your life meaning? Those types of things. And it might catch people off guard, but they genuinely like it. When you ask about them, people love talking about themselves. And I think that's a, a major life hack. Uh, so this person is trying to get into ML and their approach is to learn Python with DSA math libraries, ML algo algos, uh, they want to know if that's the right path. You know, there is no correct path to learning data science. I personally like following a greedy algorithm. So essentially, whatever you're most excited about, you should just go learn it because you're going to have the energy to do it. I mean, data science, any of these domains, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You're going to be learning for hours and hours. I mean, you know, like I, I probably don't even have 10,000 hours of, of data science learning yet, but um, that's a lot of time. And if you're just forcing stuff down your throat that you're not interested in at all. It, it's going to be hard to stick on the path. On the other hand, if you're focusing on things that you're really interested in, you'll find that you probably have to learn some of the other things to continue down the road uh, of learning what you're interested in. And it'll be more fun because there's a reason why you're learning those things. You know, let's take a project. For example, when I was starting, I, I, I described I loved uh, daily fantasy sports. I was super into it. And I said, oh, I need to build a model. And then I had to learn about all of the limitations of linear regression, for example. That's not something I enjoyed thinking about. And I was like, okay, well, what other models are there? And I had to go down this path of understanding what models would make sense based on my data. If I'm doing time series, 
what are the implications of that? Uh, I, I had to understand a little bit about data engineering and creating features to make the model better. Uh, I had to understand a little bit of the math, at least, to understand if my model was going to be producing good results or how to evaluate my models. So just from focusing on what I cared about, there was this trickle-down effect of learning these other things. Um, and yeah, of course, it, it's useful to to learn some of the theory and those types of things from the ground up. But I personally didn't like starting with that because I never would have stuck with the career if that's the direction it was going. Um, another one is tips on how to get back again with brushing up your data science skills after a gap year. Uh, the best thing is to just build stuff. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, code, create products, put them out there. I, I love Streamlit for that. That is one of the number one things. Uh, try to do some volunteer stuff. If, if you... I know someone in your area that might have data. I mean, it's it, it's pretty benign to give you know give someone your data and and uh, have them create some actionable value from it. I mean, I have all of my YouTube data from the last couple of years on Kaggle. People are welcome to analyze that. You know, no one sent me an email saying, "Hey, I analyzed this. I think this would be helpful to you." Um, but yeah, I guess they have posted it on Kaggle. But you know, I'm I think. A lot of people are very welcome uh, to those types of things. Um, actually, the next question is, can I work as an intern for me? Um, I actually am opening up a role for a content strategist, which isn't necessarily an internship or anything. Uh, I have a couple uh, applications that came in that I need to follow up with. So if you applied, I'm still working on it, I promise. I'll probably post that on uh, LinkedIn and some other places as well. But I'm essentially looking for someone to help me come in and help research some of the videos that I'm doing, help give me feedback on thumbnails and storytelling elements. So it's a little bit more focused on the content side, but there's also a benefit of having some data and data analytics skills there as well. So um, the answer is maybe if you apply, uh, the application is already, I posted in the, my YouTube community. So uh, it, it is open. People are welcome to uh, to apply there. And then the last question is, bro, could you kindly help me, please? Um, a little open-ended. <laughs> maybe maybe I could, but uh, likely the help that this person needs is somewhere buried in the videos I've created or the podcasts that I've made. So again, I really appreciate everyone writing in these questions. I kind of like this format where I can tell these stories. And the next time I do this will be on a live stream probably at the end of October. So again, thank you all for tuning in. Until the next episode, good luck on your data science journey. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Ken's Nearest Neighbors. Many of you have been asking about how you can support the show, and we're extremely grateful for all the engagement so far. The best way that you can show your support is to subscribe to both the Ken's Nearest Neighbors and the Ken's Nearest Neighbors Clips YouTube channels. If you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Music, giving us a rating and sharing any of the episodes with someone that you believe might find the content useful is also greatly appreciated. The Ken's Nearest Neighbors podcast is hosted by me, Ken G, produced by Bobby Hicks, and is edited by Mario Paul and Tony Pellaridi.